everybody. Carly Chardonnay Webb here along with Dawn Ennis. Welcome to the Transporter Room, the conversion of sports, transness, science fiction, fantasy, gaming, geek culture, and other stuff. I and, thought we but, were against conversion. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Um, the, but this week, a lot of seriousness in the news to begin with. Sports spoke out. In you know, response to what's been happening. History. It was historic, Carly. There's never been anything like it. Well, there hasn't been anything close to it. There's been other actions like it, but not this big. Not in over 50 years. And it was good to see. It started with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I know at least one Milwaukee Bucks who have been very, one buck who would have been very proud. I think somewhere Oscar Robertson was smiling at what he saw about 10 days ago when the Bucks walked off the court and then the entire NBA and the WNBA walked off right along with them. But also there was a lot of plan. There was a lot of meetings, a lot of intensity, but also a lot of planning for going forward, including NBA arenas being opening, being opened up as polling sites for on election day. That is going to me. I think that's going to be a big thing and a game changer in what could be a very harrowing election experience for this country over the next few weeks. It was nice to see that the Major League players, Major League Baseball players, decided to step up. Uh, my Mets, you know, they they uh, paid tribute to both Jackie Robinson and the protesting players by having a moment for 42 seconds and then after taking the field, leaving the field. And other Major League Baseball teams followed and to... Under a lot of pressure, the National Football League, the, the National Hockey League, tennis players, Major League Soccer, they also joined in. You even have college football teams sending in solidarity, even though I don't think college football teams should be playing, but that's a different discussion for another day. Well, but I, I have to say, though, it, it was good that they did it. I, I just don't know if what they got from the uh, league owners, the team owners, is enough. I still feel as if LeBron James, who was voting to not return, I think that would have been more powerful. But Barack Obama, to his credit, he took a phone call from LeBron and got involved, and he counseled them that they should go back. What do you think? Should they have gone back? Actually, in a sense, I I would have been okay if they had made either decision. And here's why. The, obviously, the thing would be, go back the thing would be not play and it right there but what happens at but i also think a lot of players are also pondering what happens after that what do we do after that do we are we going to march in our cities are going to march in town those are fair questions to ask on the other side of that ledger going back to play means you continue to have this platform and this is a platform they can't that they would be hard pressed to take away from you or try to cut off without causing a great deal of damage in this platform. You know, it is true to a point people are more apt to hear what you have to say. If you're still playing. And I think actually in this case, going back and playing was not a bad move, especially with the, at least the preliminary things that they got from the owners that they got from the leagues. And I think they can even get more. I, I agree. And don't with forget. Bryant. Well, no, I agree with Howard Bryant in this case. There's a lot of strength and a lot of leverage by doing what they did and then continuing the playoff. Now, don't forget, these are unionized workers. If they had actually gone out on strike, there would have been legal repercussions, labor repercussions. It might have become a bigger deal because of the way they walked out if they had stayed out. So I think that their protest was tolerated and they did win some concessions, but I still think the owners would have given them more had they stayed out longer or never come back. I just don't know. I, I, I do think that of all the leagues out there, the WNBA are the true leaders here. And if the WNBA hadn't taken such a political stance, I'm not sure the NBA would have been as politically motivated because they really did take a very strong lead, don't you think? I have, I'm in total agreement. I mean, a lot of people look at it that way, and and I would kind of agree. The WNBA, in many ways, led the way in this. But it's good to see 
it was good to see athletes across the board coming to a party. And I also want to give a note. How about Naomi Osaka stepping out the way she did, was in the semifinals of an ATP tour event and decided to back off and not play the semifinal. And, I mean, and also while saying that, also mentioned a name that's been kind of lost, that's been definitely lost in the shuffle and all this. You know, Brianna Taylor's killers are still free. The cops have not yet been arrested. The cops have not yet been arrested. The cops haven't been arrested, but at the same time, you have a certain national leader who remained nameless saying that the kid in Wisconsin were... Huh? Let's not say his name. We're not going to, but the point is that certain national leader, that certain head of state is saying that that kid who shot those people in Wisconsin was justified. Oh, Let that I don't sink. Want to talk in. about him. Just unbelievable, unbelievable. We had a really crazy week, though. I mean, since we've been on the air last week, there's been a lot to talk about. I remember that you had a wonderful story about Grace McKenzie, our last podcast guest. She was part of Outsports Rugby Week, and what we did was team up with International Gay Rugby and told the stories of trans rugby players who just want to play. And unfortunately, the leaders of rugby sport, world rugby, have proposed banning trans players. So we've taken on the the challenge of interviewing different trans rugby players and telling their stories. And there were a lot of great stories to tell. Grace McKenzie is, uh, is a budding tech entrepreneur in the Bay Area and is the recruiting coordinator for Golden Gate Women's Rugby out there. And also, she's been playing on their rookie team for two years. And when the word came down from World Rugby that they were looking at this ban and all the things that came about and working with people like Fair Play UK and all those other trans folks, Grace didn't get mad. She got motivated. And she is the, she's one of the strategic brains behind, behind the petition that you've been seeing online that has been passed around, that has over 20,000 signatures now worldwide, calling for World Rugby not to go forward with this ban. She was a major part of that. I mean, in a sense, she was doing what people in the Bay Area in tech often do, a startup. And from the looks, this was a very successful startup. Over 20,000 signatures, including elite players, are, are, are signing on the dotted line. Probably the star of the current Amer- uh, the current U.S. national team has signed this. And she also played in the Olympics alongside another player who is a former Olympian. They signed on. They were able to push USA Rugby in a direction of, we need to get a lot more opinions on this. So, And in addition, hundreds of teams across the country and, in, and around the world, as far away as Oceania, which is, where rugby is religion, Otherwise known as Australia. Hello. Australia and New Zealand. (laughs) Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Samoa, a number of teams in that part of the world. And a number of, and and now we're even starting to get CEOs of of national governing bodies. The the head of, of New Zealand rugby is calling openly on, we need to rethink this and possibly tipping towards saying we would be against this. So the problem though, the problem though is that the transphobes and turfs, they already had this fixed. I talked to runner and researcher Joanna Harper, who said she believes that World Rugby already had its mind decided even before the forum started. It, it looks that way. And by the way, I enjoyed that interview with I enjoyed that story with her. And Joanne Thank knows you. more than most people. Well, Come on, it's Dawn. It's Dawn in. If it's Dawn Ennis, it has oh. to be good. Oh, shush, and, shush, shush. But, but what about Verity what? Smith? Verity Smith was the only trans rugby player, and he's a trans man. They made this decision about having one single trans woman who plays rugby tell them their story. Just ridiculous. And and there was one who was in the audience at a panel discussion I was a part of over the weekend with the Fuse Theater in San Francisco. Caroline Late was there. Australian rugger has played at the highest levels of the sport. A trans woman who's played at the highest levels. If you need to talk to somebody, she'd be a great place to start. Just saying, I'm I'm surprised 
Well, no, I'm actually not surprised. When you're working with people like Fonda Beatles and Fair Play UK, a UK subsidiary, the Heritage Foundation, of course you're not going to talk to somebody like Caroline Lay. I wrote a great story in the Sydney Herald about the thing that was missing from the whole talks, which is, of course, a woman who plays rugby. Yes. Ugh. And that's been another thing, too. It was great to see the stories that happened during that were in during rugby week. It was great to see trans people who play the game speaking out and getting their story and, and getting their stories out there because that's something that's missing. And I would be inclined to agree with Joanne Harper that it sounds like that they wanted to do this and ram it down and just ram it down people's throats with and think that no one was going to talk about it. But no, uh, you thought wrong. People are going to know we're going to speak out about it. And, and sports fans across the spectrum, across all sports are speaking out about it. Remember, the people who are on the side of inclusion and human rights are more than happy to put their name on it. The people who are against inclusion and human rights tried to sneak it in the back door like 300 and certain 309 people that we both know, Don. Oh, boy. So I went, was, who was uh, there? Well, I was a I was a part of it. And I was honored to be surrounded by champions. Juniper Simonis, four-time world champion, roller derby player, was there. Kirsty Miller, who is a pioneer and a trailblazer throughout all this and has, and has been for – yeah, Kirsty's been there for – she's been around there 30, 40 years as a trailblazer. And, of course, two youngsters who have who've really done well. Juniper Eastwood, formerly of the University of Montana – first NCAA transgender student athlete to win a conference title at the division one level. And of course, CeCe Telfer, formerly of Franklin Pierce university in New Hampshire, the first NCAA student transgender student athlete to win a national championship. She did it in division two last year. We were a part of this excellent panel discussion that also had a lot of Q and a from the audience. And it was a, it was a lot of good opinions brought out there and it was good. And I want to thank the fuse theater for giving us the opportunity and the forum and thank those who are in the audience. And Caroline late was among that audience. I mean, despite that time difference, she was up, she was up relatively early in the morning and had breakfast with us as we were doing it late at night out in the West coast. Well, we're recording this late at night and I'd like to uh, set coordinates for Springfield, Missouri, where we have Jacqueline Harper Grubb. Beam her up, Carly. Cleaning her up from Springfield, Missouri, just down the road from Silver Dollar City, Jacqueline Harper Grubb. Welcome to the Transporter Room. Thank you for having. Me. Well, it's good that you're it's good that you're here with us. And tell us a little bit about you and what you do. I mean, you have the heart. You have one of the hardest jobs on the soccer pitch. You're the referee. Yeah, I uh, I referee youth soccer. Um, here in the Springfield area primarily. I do sometimes occasionally get out to other areas. Um, I am a grassroots level, which is they've recently restructured them, which is about two or three of the lower levels combined all together now. Um, and officiating is my passion, and it has been since I was 19 years old. And even before that, when I studied rules from as young as when I was as young as 10 years old, and I I absolutely love being on the field. Um, I'm under the sun. <laughs> I've been called almost everything under the sun by parents and players and 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 coaches, and it still doesn't deter me. I still go out there and and do what I do what I do. Well, does that make you a zebra? Well, kind of. I mean. I would be if I was wearing stripes, <laughs> but luckily the good thing is in soccer I don't wear stripes. So I did wear I did wear basketball stripes for about 10, 10 years. So I did high school level basketball. Carly, go ahead. Carly, you there? I think she's muted. <laughs> <laughs> don't you wish coaches were muted on the sideline once in a while? That would be a nice thing for a rep. Now, one thing, have you had a chance to, have you ever booked someone yet? Yes, yes, actually I have. I uh, had, a, had a middle school game actually last fall, it would be, since we didn't have a spring season. I uh, got a little out of control, and uh, I ended up issuing, I think, three yellow cards in that game, which is unusual for a middle school game because this was almost a lower-level middle school game. It wasn't even a high-level middle school game. 
So it just but but no reds yet. No reds yet. And I'm uh, I'm happy for well, that. I mean, you know, and 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 especially, you know, the last uh year whenever uh they instituted the rule now that we can card coaches. And uh we all when we heard that it was kind of nice because previously we had to ask tell and dismiss, which is a little harder. You can show a card and it's public. The coach knows, oh, well, I'm caught and everybody knows it. But uh, the, I think it's helped kind of deter them a little bit. Do you have other members of the LGBT community uh, on the field, or are you basically the only one? As far as I know, in Springfield, I'm not aware of anybody. Um, and what's that like? It must be a little lonely being the one LGBT person, and that means, of course, the only trans person. It, it, it is. It's, it's different. Um, it's, you know, you get people sometimes don't know how to approach you. Um, and in fact, I had a coach Saturday misgender me right out of the gate. So it, it just, uh, you know, uh, it's one of those, uh, yeah, it's, but, you know, I turned and I said, because he asked me to, to do something and he said, sir. And I turned and looked at him. I said, it's ma'am. And I said, I'll take care of it. And he goes, oh, oh, sorry. And corrected himself. So didn't have any issues after that. So it was good, which being in Missouri, sometimes you wonder. Hmm. Now, what got you? I mean, we had a chance to to talk off camera before we started. And one thing, what got you started on being a ref? You've, you said you want to be, you want to officiate ever since you were a kid. Now, most kids want to play. What got you interested in going to the the dark side, as some of us would say? Well, I I played. I played baseball as a kid. I started at about seven years old and played up until I was about 16. Uh, I played baseball, and I wasn't very good. I was terrible. Uh, my, I, You're not alone. You're one, not alone. You're not alone. <laughs> the, the one game that I ever pitched in, in to pitch, to save our pitching for the state tournament when I was 16. Um, my coach was had to step out of the dugout yelling at the umpire because the batters were having to step out of the front of the batter's box to try to hit me. I was throwing so slow. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and I knew I wasn't very good, but I loved the game. And I studied the rules. I knew the rules at, you know, in um, – Middle school PE, whenever we had a basket, whenever he split us up into teams, we had a basketball tournament. I volunteered to referee. I wasn't very good at basketball, and I knew it. But I studied the rules, and so if I wanted to be around sports, this was the way I needed to do it. Now, how did, how did, now, how did, in a sense, struggling with, struggling with identity as a young person going into your teenagers, going to your college years, where did officiating play in that? And how did officiating help or hurt with that? If anything, uh, the refereeing helped me push my anxiety and things like that away. My gender, just a couple of hours. And I was able to, to, you know, focus solely on the game. I didn't have the thoughts in my head. Now, of course, occasionally in down times, I'm, I would, it would pop up in my head, but then I would have to tell myself, come on, focus on the game. And it helped with that. Now, at the same time, I'm sitting there, I had thoughts where I was like, doesn't feel right. Going into, going into, I, I, I could never change at a school. When I would go to games, I would, I, I get dressed. Uh, before I even left the house or left work, if I was leaving from work, going to a game. And a lot of that was because I wasn't comfortable changing with whoever I was with, um, if I, which most of the time was male partners in basketball. And, uh, and in baseball, you don't have, have it to change in high school. So, but I just, I just, Never was comfortable with myself. Never. I was that way even in gym class in high school. I, I hated. I always tried to get gym class seventh hour. That way I could 
get there, change quickly, and I wouldn't have to change again. I could just go straight home. So it was that part was a lot of anxiety filled times and moments for me. Um, but then once I got on the court I, or the field, I just kind of push it away. Or like I said, dead dead times would come around. It would pop in my head, and I'd be thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, I need to focus. And and I'd be like, and then somebody put a ball in play, and I'm like, okay, here I go. And it it got me away, kept my anxiety away. That's wonderful that you were able to have that outlet. Could you tell us about um, your transition story? Both Carly and I unfortunately didn't get the transition as young people. We did it in our 40s. I'd like to know your story. Well, I spent, I went to a Christian college, College of the Ozarks here south of town. And I I was dealing with my gender identity issues through high school and through college. And when you go to a Christian college and you're forced to go to chapel so many times a semester it, and they're pounding some things into you, 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 you doubt yourself. And so that's what I did. I doubted myself a lot. I just pushed things aside. As time wore on, which I met somebody, got married, throughout that first marriage, I had the thoughts, but then I had always had these thoughts that like, no, this isn't right. I can't do this. I, I'm, I'll push it away. Push it down. That first marriage ended um, in uh, 2016. 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. Um, that's when I started realizing now maybe I can start working on trying to be myself a little bit. Um, I ended up not long after my marriage ended and separated. I ended up meeting my current wife. Now I met her on Tinder and we had this connection and it wasn't long after we started dating, she asked me about having feminine feelings or if I felt like I was a woman, things like that. And I told, and, I, and she goes, you can be honest with me. And I said, yeah, I am. I do. I, always, I have for a long time. And um, this was in early 17. And then I started, um, we started talking and I started experimenting my gender trying to understand first i thought i was bi gender gender fluid and uh as as time went on i was living in southeast missouri in a small town of dexter and i had a job uh working in an auto parts store and it was tough i had i i, I was in a very male dominated job um quite a lot of toxic masculinity and so I had to I had to just keep suppressing this and keep suppressing this. And my wife, at the time, my girlfriend, she noticed that I was struggling. And she came up with the idea of us moving to Springfield, mainly so that I could be myself more. And so moved to Springfield, um, started working at a car dealership here in town. And it was around that time that I told my wife, I said, I'm, I'm not by gender. I'm transgender. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman inside. And she goes, okay. Um, what do you want to do? And I told her, I said, let's, let's find a therapist. Let's, let's, let's get this started. And so it was January, 2019. I saw a therapist for the first time. A month later, I had my first doctor's, or no, I'm sorry, it was later that month, I had my first doctor's appointment. I then, in February, st started the, the medical transition in February of 19. Um, and it was through that, at that point, I was again struggling with, with my job. Lots of toxic masculinity, living what I call a double life. I was working male and, and living at home as female. And, and it was, it was hard. So I ended up finding this, another job that I'm at now, great corporate job in sales, uh, with a large auto parts distributor or company. And, um, and 
I, I have a, and within three months of working there, because because the first thing I did was start checking their policy manual. I'm like, okay, what's what policy on harassment, discrimination, things like that. And uh, I also looked into what the health care covered, what the health insurance covered. And I saw the health insurance was, was really good, really in, shockingly inclusive for Southern Missouri. Um, and, uh, and then come around October, my company put in gender identity as a protected class, uh, which is not protected in the state of Missouri, by the way, by the government. Um, and when I saw that, I was, I was having a hard time. And I told my wife, I said, this is, this is a sign. It's just time. I, I got to come out. And she goes, how'd, how'd she take it? Oh, she was, she was like, cause the original plan was, I was going to do, I was going to come out honestly around summer of 2020. So, and, and when I told her that and she goes, okay, I'll support you 100%. Wow. You know how lucky you are? Do you have any idea? I, yes, I do. I tell myself that every single day. I am blessed to have such an amazing woman and quite honestly, an amazing kid that supports me. I, my oldest, my kids support me and are there with me 100% too. And so I set up a meeting with my HR in early November, told them what was going on. And they told me, they said, look, this is what, um, this is what we do. This is how we handle it. You know, you can use the restroom that you identify with. You can, you know, we go on your timeline, how you feel. I said, okay. And I said, they said, you want me to talk? You want us to talk to your management or do you want the management team? And I said, if you could, that'd be great. So HR reached out to my management team. And, um, when I talked, when my, by the, and it was, it was interesting cause I kept, I kept noticing my members of my team that I work on that they were going into my manager's office and I'm like, I know what this is about. <laughs> and, um, by the end of the day, he called me in there and, and we spent four or five minutes in there and he said, we've, you've got our full support. Um, I want you to know that what everybody else on your team said is they did their first thing they asked was what can we do to help her? Wow. Wish and, we had uh, more, I, wish we had more companies like that. Don't you, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I agree. I agree. Matter of fact, I'm getting a little emotional now uh, thinking about it. It, uh, the acceptance was just amazing. Wow. And, uh, January 6th of 2020, I started presenting at work, and that was full-time for me at that point. What was it like walking walking into work that first day, knowing that no more dead name, no more one foot in one life, one foot in the other? It's Jacqueline Harper Grubb, professional, walking through the door as who you are. What was that like for you? I was nervous <laughs> beyond belief. I was very nervous, but I knew I had their acceptance and, and it made it a little easier to push the nerve back. I remember sitting in my car, I was shaking a little bit and I got, I, right before I went in, I just took a deep breath and I said, I said, you got this. And I, I walked in there and, and just, just worked like another day. It was, it was wonderful. You know, of course had some, you know, they're going to make mistakes, you know, making a switch like that. And it, it took some time to get them corrected, but now here we are eight months, basically almost nine. And I have no issues whatsoever. They defend me whenever, uh, cause I, cause what I do is I work, my job is call center based. So whenever our field team members call in and they misgender me or something, they're right there quick to correct and, and fix it. Now, follow-up to that is relatively recently, you, you also had that, you had another first for you walking on, walking on that pitches yourself now. 
What was that like? Again, I was nervous. I I was very nervous, but uh, once I got out there, it felt great. I felt right. I felt like this is this is me. Uh, I'm finally because at first when I when I started thinking about transition, I thought I thought my fish hating career was going to be over. I thought I thought I'm going to have to give it up. You know, am I going to especially in southern Missouri? <laughs> and, and but no, they my assigner was 100 percent accepting. When I came out to him, he said. I assign and develop officials without regard to who they are. Are you the only woman no, official? We, no, I'm not. We actually have several. We, that is one thing that I can say is we do a good job of recruiting female referees around here. Um, there's a lot of other, there's a few other women. Matter of fact, we've got one that's a mentor and has, has went up to the ranks. Um, and we've got, a, we've got a girls. I mean, we've got young girls at, 13, 14, 15 years old that are refereeing too. Well, Carly, there's that sound. That means we have to take a break. When we come back, let's ask Jacqueline about how parents and children have reacted to her transition and whether that's a problem or whether it's just how it's supposed to be. We'll be right back. You're in the Transporter Room. We're back here at the Transporter Room, joined by Jacqueline Harper Grubb, youth soccer official. And now I understand that, right? You're in the USSF development portal for officiating. You've refed everywhere from under seven to under 19. Now, how do parents and kids take having a trans woman wearing the referee's jersey and holding the booking cards on the pitch? What is that dynamic like? So far, I haven't had any anything. I I had the one misgendering issue. Other than that, it, everything's been great. Well, one thing, oh, one thing, you know, little kids get this. It seems like the older you get, the harder it is to get it. Younger kids get it, but for the for the most part, as far as what is the easiest part about ref refing the youth game? What's the hardest part, and what's the hardest part of it? I have to say that the uh, the easiest part of it would be that, or easier part of it, I guess you could say, would be the the speed of the game. It's a little slower than an adult game would be, um, but yet, you know, when we have clubs here in town that you could classify as quote elite clubs, um, there's one club here that's associated with Sporting Kansas. The city's youth academy so um but when you i actually find it the younger that you go when you drop down to u7 u8 u9 those are harder games to referee than a u16 u17 game or middle school game do you have a uh, answer ready should a child do what has often happened to me they usually get it right away but if they don't they usually just ask straight out are you a boy or a girl What's your answer? My answer would be that I'm a girl. I'm going to say that, that I am I am a girl. I am a woman. And usually the follow-up I get is, but you sound like a boy. <laughs> well, yeah, I, and, and that's probably where I would say, well, you know, there are a lot of women out there that do have low and deeper voices, and voices don't necessarily make gender. Bingo, you win. <laughs> That's a good answer. I mean, it's the best said, answer. Don't get a, it complicated. They they accept any answer as long as they get an answer. It's a great answer. I've got. I mean, that's one I've gotten before in my life. I had someone. I was once a counselor at a Girl Scout camp, and there's this one kid who walked in and said, "Excuse me, yeah, you look you look like a girl, but you sound like a boy." I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> I was giggling because. The kid wasn't mean. There was no malice to it. It was just, you know, kids have no filter. They say the darndest things. If it's if it's upstairs in their head, it's coming out of their mouth. And it just sounded so cute and innocent. That's the thing. It was like, it was it was cute and innocent, but at the same time, it was a it was an innocent sick burn in a way. I mean, it was. But 
that's one thing. <laughs> kids do get, I mean, kids do get it. Now, one thing, there's something in soccer that most of us don't get. And you being a ref, maybe you can help me with this. What exactly is offsides? Okay. Um, offside in soccer is unlike hockey, where hockey you have a defined line. You have the blue line that signifies, you know, if you're beyond that in front of the puck, you're offside. Um, in soccer, I like to use the phrase that that line is always moving because that line is going to be the second to last defender and you count the goalkeeper as a defender and an attacker cannot be beyond that second to last defender and in front of the ball when the ball is played to them and involved in active play. If they are and they're involved in the play, it's offside. Okay. I just need to take a moment here. I have discovered something about sports that I knew that Carly didn't. That it just blows my mind. I can't believe that there's something I knew about sports that Carly didn't. I played soccer when I was younger. I was a right wing. And just like in baseball, I was praying to God no one hit the ball to me. But <laughs> I, I did my best and I never got caught offside. Come on, Carly. <laughs> Every. I asked the question because every official I've asked has given me, I've asked 20 different officials. They've all given me 20 different explanations on what offside is. Jacqueline, Jacqueline? yeah, Jacqueline included, but Jacqueline gave me the most succinct one that I can find, that I finally get it. It wasn't gobbledygook. It's the only one I know. That's that's how I played when I was uh, many years ago when we had dinosaurs. Um, (laughs) Jacqueline, I'd like to to know a little bit about um, the friends around you, your support. Sometimes you don't get that kind of support. You expect it, you expect your family to support you. And in our line of work of being a transgender person full-time, not just wearing a costume, not just putting on a, a bra and, and feeling girly, being a woman, has that been a deal breaker for any of your friends or family? So far, um, I have been extremely, extremely lucky. Um, my very best friend of over 25 years, I have uh, two of them. Uh, one lives in Ohio, one still lives back in Dexter. Both of them, as soon as I, sent, as soon as I told them, they were 100% accepting from the beginning. And um, it, it, I mean, it brought me to tears when I, when they told me and, and my mom, I sent her a letter. Matter of fact, I wrote two letters specifically one for my mom and my stepdad and one for my dad and my stepmom. I uh, sent them both out. Funny enough. I sent them both out on, put dropped them in the mail, January 1st, 2020. Um, and um, about four days later, I get a text from my mom telling me that um, she got my letter. And that uh, she didn't didn't know, didn't suspect anything, um, which means I did a pretty good job of putting her shoes and clothes back whenever I'd sneak into the closet when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> and um, and and said, <laughs> so "Don't feel, don't feel you're the only one." <laughs> nope. <laughs> and uh, and she said. You just be patient with me on the pronouns and, and the name, but I will always, you're my kid and I will always love you. Oh, you're so lucky. Oh my God. Wow. The, your only, job, the only person, your, your job, yeah, I'm your very spouse, lucky. Mom. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, the only, the only person I have not heard from is my actual father and stepmom. They have not tried to contact me. Which my dad and I were never really close, but uh, he'd make efforts to contact me. Um, wow, but eight they, months is a long time not to have an answer. Yeah, and my birthday is coming up in, in a couple of weeks, and we'll see if he texts me or calls me. He usually does that. But um, I, I'll I be prepared. You might get a dead name. You might get dead named. But um, I'm I'm expecting it. I will tell you this. The one bit of advice I can share from seven years of being out is that it takes people a lot longer than we 
uh, expect them to. We've been living in our head for a long time about who we really are and not being able to show it. And then when we are showing it, we want immediate acceptance. And it just takes some people, especially older folks, takes them a longer time. I still have members of my family, unfortunately, who are not accepting. And I just have to basically have no relationship with them. I, I learned from a therapist long ago, better to have no relationship than a toxic one. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm getting and, and choked up. I I understand. That's that's um, my wife and I have the same philosophy. I mean, she's got she has similar sometimes issues with some people in her family, but you know we've we've got to worry about ourselves and keep ourselves happy. Good for you. Well, with that in mind, unfortunately, I want to talk. We have to have to bring up a little bit of toxicity. Because looking at the sporting end of it, as an official, as someone who's been close to sports, and by admission, love sports, because I know you follow a lot of different sports out there. What are your thoughts on all this action against trans athletes, both here in the United States and around the world? And let's add student athletes to that, because and yes, it seems very sad, but for some reason, these transphobes and TERFs are particularly interested in blocking and banning student athletes, young people who only want to compete. Right. Yeah. We, we actually had that fight like that here in Missouri. Two bills that got um, proposed in the last General Assembly that would, um, that would make athletes compete as their what they called biological sex um uh. luckily yeah luckily we've got some organizations here in missouri promo being one of them and uh they stepped up and one of them got out of got out of committee now republicans hold a super majority in missouri plus the governor's office so there's not to say it's not going to show back up again i find it despicable these attacks the 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 in idaho the the world rugby there that one just blows my mind that they're not even listening to the the trans women that have played for the years um idaho doing with but but don't you think in some ways there is an argument to be made that if a trans girl hasn't taken puberty blockers and she's gone through male puberty, do you agree that she has an advantage? And is that important? Because I think that there's no denying that someone who's lived their life as a male and had male um, characteristics, when they come out as a girl, if they're not taking puberty blockers or not taking anything that um, affects their physicality, that it's entirely possible that they have an advantage. The question, of course, though, is doesn't sports celebrate advantages? Michael Phelps, Usain Bolt, they're girls. They just happen to have had a boy's body prior to being able to finally come out as themselves because gender identity and the brain is female. So what's your thought on that? Well, that's, you know, it's it's one of those deals where I think the NCAA has got a good policy with that in one year uh, having to be on hormones. And, and matter of fact, Missouri has that policy. The Missouri State Association has that same policy. And the I can understand to an extent because since I, I know since I started transition, from my experience, since I started my, I have slowed down. I have noticed myself on AR trying to keep up with that second to last defender. Sometimes I have to anticipate play a little more, a little sooner than I used to. Keep up it's with not, it. Yeah, it's not, it's not your, you can't carry a box or open a jar of pickles. I know all these things. My, yeah, my wife. Wife used to have me open everything, and now she hands it to me, and I can't do it. And she's the one having to open it all. So, but I, 
it's look, if there's one thing that I, I find interesting that nobody's that, that I don't think a lot of people have thought about and so one of the things that I think that I haven't I haven't heard brought up by mainly the governing body side if they are if the governing body is so concerned about that why not create a third category that would allow kind of in the same frame that U.S. Quidditch has with their Title IX three-quarter, where you have, so you have your, you're allowed four people of the same gender on the field, and the gender is based off of how they identify. Not based on any tests, anything like that, based off how they identify. And at the same time, you still have the testing policies and the one year on trans women that want to play with the women. If that makes sense. I felt like I may have rambled a little bit there. but No, but that that is something to consider. I mean, it's something to look at. I've known, I mean, as a person who's pay, played a little Quidditch, I've seen that policy play out. And at some, I mean, there at at one level, there's a lot of merit to it. At another, I mean, part of me, some a, a small part of me says there's some merit to it. The another side of me also says we've had sep we have had our experiment with separate but equal in our history in this country. It doesn't work. But one thing I one thing look at for yourself. I mean, for example, the law. I mean, I had followed some of the process in Missouri. And you have the process in Idaho. We have the pro, and right now we have the lawsuit up here in Connecticut, for example. What do you say to to those who who are openly just trying to block this? And I'm I'm talking about those who are trying to use this as a wedge to drive other issues. And you know those groups. Chances are in Missouri, you've seen some of them. What's your thoughts on on their actions, on the turf actions, and the people who finance them? I don't like it because and and because it's it's villainizing it's cr creating trans women as villains and like we're just out there to win trophies and they're not if if you look and this has been brought up on social media a lot if you look there's not been a trans woman dominate a sport and let these student athletes compete as the gender they identify as because they're student athletes. The sports portion of being a student athlete, this, the sports pro portion of that teaches things that you can't get in the classroom. Teaches discipline, teamwork, hard work. Yeah, they can teach some of that in the classroom, but there are things in the, in the sports realm that can't be taught in the classroom. And these are situations where it can get transgender kids out of bad situations it could get them out of um it could get them a scholarship to get them to go to college and some people sports keep them in high school not only that but also sports gives you self-confidence sports builds teamwork yes. sports builds character sports teaches that you don't always win and what to do when you lose and how to be a gracious winner and how mm -hmm. to compete, yep. how to give your all. There's so much that sports does for people that these transphobes are trying to deny trans people just because of who they are. And for my money, I would say that sports is something that everyone should have at least a chance to compete in. And, you know, if trans women and trans girls won every single event, everything they ever competed in and won all the trophies and won all the scholarships, I'd have to con concede. I'd have to concede that, okay, I guess it's just not fair, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Trans people lose. We lose all the time. Not all the time, but we lose. And the point being that if you're going to discriminate against trans people, then I guess you're going to have to rule out Michael Phelps and Usain Bolt. And you have to rule out Serena Williams, who, by mm -hmm. the way, you know, I mean, she's up again. I mean, who knows where she's how far she'll go. But imagine having to say, oh, I'm sorry, Serena, you're too good. <laughs> it just isn't going to happen. No, well, it's like you, you talk about that and it's like with the situation.
when they filed that lawsuit, what, like two weeks later, the plaintiffs lost a ra- or won a race against the, the <laughs> here in two weeks, probably two days. Was it yeah, within nine days? Yeah, within nine days, one of the plaintiffs beat beat two beat the, the girls twice. Unbelievable. Yeah, she beat them twice in the space of eight days. Yeah, amazing. And right there's proof. Yeah, exactly. Right there. Of course, they don't bring that up, do they? So, well, we they're afraid. This, they're afraid of the truth. They are afraid of the truth. We call this the transporter room because Carly and I are big Star Trek geeks. We love Star Trek. What about yourself, Jacqueline? What's your favorite sci-fi or fantasy? Star Trek is right up there, number one, and Babylon Five is there with it too. I love both of them. The year is twenty-two fifty-eight. The name of the place is Babylon Five. I'll tell you, somebody who's somebody who's down with John Sheridan can always have a seat with me. (laughs) I love that series. TV never need uh, you can never get to me. You get as a sci-fi fan, you can never get enough of Bruce Box Lightning. And that was a unique series in the fact that, that I, I did a little digging on it in the fact that he had basically wrote out five years and, and basically said, this is going to be a five-year show and it's going to be one big story arc. And it just amazing. I and love the a, uh, I love the time travel episodes where they go back in time and forward in time and they're trying to figure out Babylon 4 and Babylon 5. And I love that whole series. Mm-hmm. Great, great job. The Minbari. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Avoid travel too. So did Enterprise. Yeah, true. Well, Enterprise did a lot of that. I, I'm a big Star Trek fan. I, have you caught Lower Decks yet? Yes, love it. It's Lower very Decks. Funny. Called, Lower Decks. I thought that was going to like crash and burn. It's very funny, and it's very inventive. But one thing I want to know all around: lightning round, favorite Babylon Five character. Have to be Sheridan because he stuck to his guns whenever he needed to secede from Earth, and he knew what was right. He knew what he had to do, and he did not back down from anyone. Mine would be Delenn. I had I a did feeling, like Delenn too. I had a feeling that you would say that, Don. I had a <laughs> feeling that you would. I had a feeling that you would come out with Delenn. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a tough call. Between and I have a feeling you'll probably can guess who my tough call is. I mean, my tough call is between Sheridan and Lando Malari. <laughs> Lando, yeah, I like Lando. Yes. Mano- I, I want to. He, he's one of those people that you want to. He, he re- Star Trek character. He reminds me of Hardcore Fenton Mud. You want to <laughs> dislike this person, but you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Hardcore, yeah. hardcore Fenton Mud. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely always got something up his sleeve. And and the mm-hmm. series takes a really tragic turn with these characters too. So many, so many ups and downs, and it it really, you know, it evolved. The show really changed over the years. It didn't stay the same. It reminded me a lot of how DS Nine worked, especially in the last two seasons, last two and a half seasons of oh, DS. I love DS Nine. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. I've, and, I'm actually in the middle of fin- trying to finish that up for about the 500th time. Uh, watch it. You want a rewatch binge? <laughs> I did a DS9. Yeah I, I, yeah, I did that during the coronavirus. I did I did Voyager and uh, DS9. Yeah, that I, I, I run about three simultaneously and bounce back and forth. <laughs> okay, then then the next lightning round here. Okay, things during the COVID crisis that you binge watched again. Well, it was um, Star Trek Enterprise, Voyager, DS9, and it was also a show, I don't know if you've heard of it, called Shit's Creek. Oh, I love oh, yeah. that. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the, the Levies, the Eugene Levy and his son. Yep. Great stuff. Great. So, Catherine O'Hara, oh, you can't recommend that enough. Great show. Don, yeah. what were you? And another, were you another show. What was another one? Kim's no, Convenience, a little known. Little known Kim's Canadian convenient? show. Don't know. Oh, it. Kim's Convenience. I love that show. Kim's Convenience is funny. Really good CBC fare right there. And as somebody who appreciates some CBC stuff, I enjoy. That was an excellent show. That that's a show I'd love to see. 
That's what makes me wish I lived in a border area. Because when you live on a border <laughs> with Canada, you will easily get you will get CBC. It drips over the border, and there's a lot of good shows on the CBC. Mm-hmm. I mean, public. Bro- what about you, Don? What have you throughout this crisis? I know you've been binge watching stuff. I, I mentioned I did the uh, Voyager and DS Nine, but I also. Um, sat my youngest son down and we watched some movies. I thought essential movies like Buckaroo Banzai, like uh, the um, Independence Day movie. Uh, Whoa. Uh, Buckaroo Banzai. Yeah. No, no matter where film. you go, there you there are. You are. <laughs> where do we want to go? Planet 10. Man. When do we want to go? Real soon. No. <laughs> oh, me, I binged. What did I binge throughout all this? I mean, I I ended up strange enough binging. Now I I've, I've watched Picard through three times. Oh wow! I only watched the and first loved one. it. Wonderful show, mm-hmm. great show. Really, it was really well, well put done. together. I'm just wondering, Jacqueline, did Picard have not enough action for you? It was perfect for me. That, that Star Trek's not about action. It's about the storytelling and about characters. Um, right characters and 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 dealing with your morals too yeah moral conflict absolutely i really like star trek picard i thought it was an adult star trek like a really made for adults star trek you know um i did love seeing seven of nine back i gotta say that was my favorite part of that show i i would be i agree with that uh for me it was great just watching because for me, the thing that struck me, and I tell, I've told this a lot, and Don, I've said this many times when we talk about this, is that this this was truly a if you if all you were looking for was action, you missed the point. Yeah, because I the agree. point of this Absolutely. was seeing what happened, what happens, what happens to a lion in winter, and mm-hmm. that's who Picard was. I mean, by this point, Picard was. Bacard was dealing with a person who had a certain code and believed in that code and believed Starfleet had that code, but found what happens when Starfleet lost its way. And that was the thing that was the most jarring for me is how much Starfleet had lost this or lost its way. How yeah. Starfleet, in a sense, went from this scientific body of discovery that had to fight when it had to and was capable of doing so. But if we have to, we're going to try and find a way around that first to being a body that says we will shoot first and ask questions later. We, mm-hmm. we will boldly fight anybody instead of boldly going where no man has gone before and how Picard deals with that conflict and with the conflict of senior mortality. Picard is dying. Yeah. Right. At this point. And that was a, I mean, I was binge watching that, and also I'll admit it, I binge watched She-Ra four or five times. Oh, I know She-Ra is a big thing for you. I'd also <laughs> like to say that you know, I um, I expect that the new Section Thirty One show next year will be a lot of action with Ooh. Michelle Yeoh. How she gets back from nine hundred years in the future to do this series, I don't know, but that'll be part of Discovery. And I think Discovery is going to take that thing you were talking about as far as the 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 de-evolution of Starfleet, the way Starfleet went away from its its core values that'll be a big part of discovery uh starting in october and did you hear this little bit of news do you remember captain proton from star trek voyager <laughs> they want to bring proton? it back as a, they want to bring it back as a standalone like um short treks uh one more episode with tom and harry playing the 1930s serial ca- uh, characters of captain proton really <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that, that could great? be fun. Oh, well, that could be in. That could get really, really interesting. Speaking of fun, this has been a delight, Jacqueline. It has thank been. you so much. Yes, Jacqueline. Thank you. Thank you. Keep getting the offside rule right. <laughs> but one thing I, I want to do my one thing. One thing I want to know before you leave, though. Important mm-hmm. question. Since you're since you're talking about you do the under seventeens and number. And under 19s. How would this be for Jacqueline in the years to come? You get a call from FIFA saying you've been selected to officiate the under 19 World Cup. What would that mean for you? It would be a dream. I, I've 
I've one of my dreams is uh, all my dreams have always been to get as far as I can go, get to the top. And uh, if if I if I get there, I will be ecstatic. It would be amazing. Well, you'd make history, that's for sure. And as far as I'm concerned, you're already at the top because you've been one of our favorite guests, and we're so glad that you were able to take time and to really celebrate the achievements that you have already made as far as your transition, as far as your work, your spouse, your family, and your sport. You're everything every trans person dreams of. You've got that going for you. And I want to give you early wishes for a very happy birthday. Thank you. Second on that. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's it's been a delight to be with you all. All right. Setting coordinates, Carly. Springfield, Missouri. Beamer on down. Back to Springfield, Missouri. Thanks, Jacqueline. We got to have you back. Sounds great. Sounds great. I would love to come back. All right, take care. And Carly, you take care until next week on the Transporter Room. And you too as well, Don. Thank you. Steady as she goes. Live long and prosper.